got Phillies and Jays tickets to give away later on in the show. Disappointed in this trivia. Nice. I'm disappointed. Too easy? Yeah. Too hard. That's easy. That's okay, though. That's okay. Ryan Howard. <laughs> Mark usually. Uh, <laughs> Mark. That's directed towards you. You know that, right? It's not. Yeah, it, not me. The answer to he our trivia me. question, which we have yet to ask, <laughs> is not Ryan Howard. All right? <laughs> it's not Ryan Howard. Any, Trust any me. Any Phillies question, that's my answer. Ryan Howard. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no. It it it's it's not it's not Ryan Howard. So I'll, one of I'll, my favorite just, people of I'll all time. I'll just tell you that. I'll just tell you that right now. Speaking of large human beings. Oh. He's a big teddy bear. He's he's the nicest dude. He had this is no lie. He used the heaviest bat I've ever seen ever I've heard any people, human I've heard people say ever that. talk about. Yeah. He just wanted to basically let gravity take over and the barrel sort of fall on the baseball. He had more power as a left-handed hitter to left center than a right-handed power hitter. Huh. I've seen him hit balls to the moon to left center, and it was because that giant bat, all he said to me was, if I can get it going in the right direction – Gravity will take over because of how heavy it is. Can't argue. No, he was uh, something else. Having said that, he's not the answer to our mm, trivia he's question. My answer. 707 is the first pitch tonight on Sportsnet 590, the fan in Sportsnet, <laughs> as uh, the Jays and Phillies open a two game uh, series at the Rogers Center. <laughs> what? Buffalo. <laughs> It's bringing Caleb Joseph. My favorite catcher. Blue Jays Central Islands with Sportsnet. I mean, God knows we. You can never have too many catchers on your show. There's a lot of them running around. For oh, sure. there is. How you doing, Caleb? Oh, what's up, fellas? There's quite a buzz here at the Rogers Center. There uh, is? Excited for this series. Yeah, there's yeah. a ton of people out here, and uh, maybe it's that Bryce Harper guy. I don't know. Ooh, I think he might be drawing be. some fans. Could be. By the way, I used it. You know that whole immaculate grid thing, right? Yes. I used you today, 1%. dog. I used you today. <laughs> you're under. You're like you under 1%. Low. That tells you not only that I am incredibly rare, but I am incredibly forgotten. Uh, I don't know not if I say us. forgotten. Not, not by us. Not by us. No. Not by us. Not by y'all. Nope. No, not by us all. Uh-uh. Uh, Caleb, Jordan Romano is back. Uh, he'll obviously be, I, I presume, he, he would get the ball in the ninth inning tonight if necessary. Uh, what did we learn about Jordan Hicks in, Great question. in um, Jordan Romano's absence? Uh, man, how much that Jordan Romano is trusted in the ninth inning and how much maybe we take for granted kind of the fact that he can continue to put up zeros and zeros and lock it down. Look, Hicks is a really good pitcher. He's an excellent pitcher. There are some vulnerabilities with Hicks. It just is what it is. I love Hicks kind of in that eighth inning spot. And with Romano coming back, that's obviously where he's going to be. And of course you have, Swanson and man, don't forget about Chad Green with Romano coming back and even the possibility of Chad Green. This bullpen looks really, really deep. But yes, I really think that Romano and what he's able to provide, those locked down, trusted closers in the big leagues are so hard to find. And even though sometimes it can get hairy a little bit out there with Romano, more times than not, he gets the job done. 
what did you see from from Jordan Hicks in terms of? I mean, obviously the stuff's there, but what did you see that would create concerns for you? Uh, you know, using him in the ninth inning, for example. I mean, obviously the results weren't there. That that's part of it. But you know, when this deal was made, we had Jason Stark on, and he said in some ways the Jays have kind of acquired the St. Louis Cardinals version of Nate Nate Pearson. Great stuff. Mm. Kinda don't know necessarily what to do with him. What do what do you think of him, the pitcher, Jordan Hicks, the pitcher? Yeah, so it's a it's a really good comp I think that I had in Baltimore with a guy like Zach Britton, uh, heavy sinker, right? It's going to have a lot of velocity to it, but it's a sinker ball. It's not a it's not a typical swing and miss pitch. So you're going to get some action. You're going to get a lot of action with that pitch. And if you have a good defense, more times than not, you're going to be in good shape. But a lot of times when you create a lot of action, especially with a sinker, you will have those random balls off the end, random balls off the label, where they do find holes. And it's easier to string together four or five hits off of a guy like that than, say, a Craig Kimbrell type or even a Romano type that has pure swing and miss stuff. I think, for me, the vulnerability that I've seen is with the breaking ball. Uh, mm-hmm. It just has a tendency to get very left to right. There's not a ton of kind of downward movement. And the downward movement is usually your kind of swing and miss pitch. You can have swing and miss when it goes left to right, but it had better start on the outer third to a righty and be moving into that left-handed batter's box, creating a lot of movement sideways to create with for guys run out of the bat versus totally missing a bat underneath. So you add a, a, a sinker that is a contact pitch with a, a no clear kind of breaking ball uh, that's a swing and miss pitch. You have, you have uh, I'm not going to say concerns because I think he's a really good pitcher. He's an elite pitcher, but it will raise a few question marks if kind of the swing and miss is what you're looking for down there, if that's the guy you really want to go to. Uh, Caleb, as you well know, they're, they're facing Zach Wheeler, and against guys like that, you want to take something away from him, right? You're not trying to overhaul your swing or move around too much in the batter's box because you don't want to screw yourself up for games to, that are about to come to you. But you do want to try and take a side of the plate away. And the reason why I say that is whenever I've watched Blatty the last, ah, let's say, five games, it looks to me like he is really, really far off the plate. I, I got to be honest with you. The last couple of games, I have actually seen him have to really make an effort to lean over and use the edge of his bat to touch the outside part of the plate. Yeah. Am I on to something? And my next question would be, is why is he so far off the plate? Yeah, I do. I think you're on to something. I've kind of noticed it as well, him inching a little bit further back. And for me, why is he doing that? When I was catching and guys started to kind of back off the plate, that was a sign telling me that they were uncomfortable with the ball close to them, maybe didn't understand exactly where that inner part of the plate was, and they're chasing in off the plate. Here's the thing. When you have a guy that's backing off, more times than not, when you look at that visually as a fan, you're thinking, man, you can go in there and you can jam him. Like, there's so much room in there. That's not the case. Those guys that are out over, that are off the plate, are out over hitters. They're actually wanting the ball out over. They don't want it inside. I think I said that incorrectly. Those guys that are off the plate, they want it out over, not inside. The guys that are in on the plate, they're baiting you to throw it inside, and they're quick in there. So when body moves off the plate, 
for me. It's telling me that he's uncomfortable with the ball in, and he really wants it out over to get extended. That's where he's comfortable. And as a catcher, you see that. And even though there's a lot of space in between his body and the inside corner, looks like he can get to anything inside. He's actually really vulnerable in there. You actually start feeding him pitches in there more than you would if he was actually on the plate. That's a great answer. If you if you were on the team and you were sitting in the room with the scouting report, what would be your approach against Zach Wheeler tonight? With the sinker, he's got a sinker, he's got a sweeper, he's got a slider, he's got a four-seamer, and he throws them really hard. What would be your approach? Oh, I mean, this guy has video game stuff. This is going to be a real test. When it comes to just pure velocity, pure movement, pure everything, pitchability, experience he just is a unique pitcher i absolutely hated facing him when he was with the mets and he's gotten even better since then for me you're gonna have to pick a side of the plate if you try and cover both sides you're not gonna have a chance at all the velocity is too high the ability for him to run something in hard on a right-handed hitter if you're looking outside if you actually release on that ball you will be picking up your thumbs as you run back to the dugout and you've grounded out to the shortstop you got to pick a side for me because it's going to be really hard to pick a velocity, hard or soft, because he mixes it so well and the fastball just explodes at 98. I think you've got to be committed to either pulling the ball or committed to going to right field. For me, the breaking balls are so good. I would try and get on a heater and really try and drive it to the left center field gap if I was a left-handed, uh, right-handed hitter so that I'm going to lay off some of those really nasty breaking balls. It's going to be a test. Yep. And what we've seen in the last couple of games when they've scored a bunch of runs is when they get on the heater, when they hit the heater, they're usually in good shape. See if they can catch up to 98 with some hair on it tonight. Now, Caleb, we know that uh, Bo Bichette's reporting to the Buffalo Bisons tonight uh, for his rehab assignment. We're led to believe that Friday is the, the target date for his return when the, the Jays are in Cincinnati, when they, when they start, when they start that road trip. Uh, he has to when Bo's ready to go. He has to be able to play shortstop every day, right? Like this isn't one of those things where, well, you bring him back and you DH him to take advantage of the bat. I I agree. Um, you look at what DeYoung has done at shortstop. He's played solid defense, um, really struggling with the bat. And I really think that they would prefer to have an additional bat in the lineup as a DH. And there's still time. The, the team is in good shape. And the question is, do you rush him back four or five days early just to have him in the lineup? Uh, or do you take your time and have him for the end of the championship season? Yep, you heard it here, championship season. Hey. Uh, look, I, I just I, I feel like it's more lateral moving. And I think he won't be able to do the type of stuff, you know, stopping the starting and being able to, to put pressure on that knee defensively. Um, I don't think they're even going to let him rush back in, in, in DH. I think he's going to have to really prove that he can move around, do the agility drills that he needs to do, run the bases, cut, be able to put pressure on the inside part of that knee, the outside part, shutting down, and be able to really maneuver a lot of the defensive and base running tactics that he has to do to get in the lineup. Um, yeah, they're not going to rush it. He's way too valuable. We've seen how valuable his bat is in this lineup. And I feel like when he's fully ready to go and he can play defense is when he'll show up. And as soon as he's ready to play D, he'll be in there every day as a shortstop. Yeah, boy. It, it, uh, and, of course, you don't have the shift this year, so you can't disguise anybody's mobility issues, can you? That's a great point. It's a fantastic point. Yeah, he's going to – and that's one of Bo's calling cards that he loves to uh, – 
he loves about himself is his ability to kind of range around the infield, and he's not going to come back unless he's 100% healthy, right. defensively speaking. But, yeah, they need to bat. I mean, it's a great A-B right there in that two-hole. And, you know, guys are shifting around. you got to give John Schneider a ton of credit. What he's done maneuvering this lineup around has absolutely worked in terms of chances. When they've converted, they look like a team that's unbeatable. So it's just it's all about converting these chances that, you know, the higher-ups have been able to put them in. So they've done it last couple of games. Uh, it'll be a real test today against Wheeler, though. Is there one thing that stands out to you about you, say, that has really impressed you that you didn't think you would see this season from him? Yeah, the curveball. Um, everybody's talking about the slider. The slider's a fantastic pitch. As of recently, it's just been deadly. He's been able to get it to the spot with the right action, with the right break, and with the right location. But for me, it all starts with the breaking ball and we were talking about the split maybe being this pitch but something to disguise the hitter to, to disguise the the slider and take him off and provide insurance for that slider when you have two pitches it's very easy to box a guy in hard or soft in or out when you add that third pitch even though it's still moving into the right-handed hitters there's a lot of depth to it and the way it comes out it pops He's able to steal strikes with it instead of being behind in the count and throwing that little baby cutter thing. He can now throw this breaking ball and he doesn't show it to the hitters as often. So the less that major league hitters see a certain pitch, the less their chances are. When you throw seven or eight of the same pitch in the same AB, you're, you're, you're up a stream without a paddle. His, his being able to protect that slider with the curveball. It has added a whole other element to his game. And, man, is this guy confident? I mean, I'm not even sure you can say pitch or pitches, but just the confidence this guy exudes on a nightly basis, I didn't see that coming either. You know about this, Parker. Like, the game's all about confidence and having success. But, man, has this guy turned the corner in terms of just feeling like he's the guy out there and nobody's going to beat him. It's a great time for the Blue Jays. Absolutely. Speaking of confidence, Dalton Varsho, you seeing anything mechanically at the plate that would give you hope? that consistently he will have a chance of doing something special the last 42 games of the season? Well, I like that he's kind of gone back to that toe tap, and uh, we highlighted a couple of days ago on uh, Blue Jays Central just him using that toe tap and, and actually doing uh, a little a little uh, stationary drill with the, the, the one leg down, both knees on the ground, and just working on his path with um, – with some of the hitting coaches. And I, I just I just feel like if this guy can find a way to be on time to hit the fastball and use the big part of the field and not so much worry about taking it down the right field line, but to use the right center to left center gap and be ready and able to hit the off speed. I mean, be able and ready to hit the fastball. He, he's, he's, he's in good shape. I just think so many times that when you're late, it is really hard. You get stuck in that weird in-between position where you're late on the heater and you're early on the breaking ball, and you got to pick one and be really, really good at it. seems like when he is on time for the fastball, he doesn't chase as much, and he starts to box pitchers in. You saw it was a great, great example on, on, uh, on Sunday. He hammers a heater down the middle. The very next A-B, he comes up with bases loaded, nobody out. And once you've hammered a fastball, in that situation, bases loaded, you know, Barker, you ain't getting another heater. Nope. I felt like now he can start to sit a certain pitch, gets a slider middle down. He leaned on it, was not early. It was like he was looking for it, and then blistered it up the middle for another two base, uh, for another two RBIs. Uh, it's just, there is a process to the madness, and I think it all starts with him being able to get on time and smoke a heater. 
after that, then you can start to play the chess game out there. Yep. Good stuff, Caleb. We'll see you down in the park. Yeah, see you, buddy. Good luck. You got it. Thanks so much. See, see you, man. See you. Caleb Joseph, Blue Jay Central Analyst. 707 is the first pitch yeah. tonight as the Jays and Phillies. I just want I, I just wonder every time we've ever had anybody on about the Blue Jays lineup, they always talk about being on time. Why do such good hitters have trouble being on time? That is the million-dollar question. Like, Wait, are you saying it's something specific to the Blue Jays? Or? Absolutely. Like, we, we watch the Blue Jays consistently. Their best hitters struggle for long periods of time because a lot of the time, they're not on time. That's odd to me. Like, you would think guys that have been around had success. The easiest thing out of the process would be to be on time. Everybody you face throws hard. Why can't it be on time for that? I, that is the, it is like the million-dollar question. It's like Dalton Varsho when I was listening to Caleb talk. And, see, I don't like the toe tap. The toe tap gets him too much movement with the barrel. When he gets movement and the catcher sees that and the smart people see that and the pitching coach sees that, they elevate the heater. Me, I'd love to see him be a collision guy. Collision guys are like uh, are like uh, Bellinger, who just start it and go. They're they're attacking as soon as he it leaves his hand. I'm going. I don't have a trigger. I don't have anything going back. I don't have tons of hand movement. It is basically I'm setting the slot. I got a little bit of lean with my lower half, just to where I can feel the anchors. That's my two legs. There's my base. I can feel that. Boy, I'm strong. And when I make a positive move, I'm going to punch the baseball. He don't need to hit 240. He needs to hit 220 with 25 plus. Forget about all that other stuff, the leg kicking, the stride separating, the toe tap, all of that. How do I become a collision guy to the pull side? Like Danny, like Danny like Jensen. Danny Jensen. Danny Jensen's a collision guy. He don't have he has wiggle. That's his trigger, but that's just so he can feel the barrel so he knows where to throw it from to where I can feel it going out in front of the plate because I want to pull it. So I gotta catch it out here. I can't let the ball travel. That for me. And I just wonder, the more we talk about that, why do a bunch of hitters that are really good, like the Blue Jays, are not on time all the time? I just, it's very confusing. Like, a lot of the times they're in, like Vladdy. Vladdy, a lot of the times, is late on the heater and out in front of the breaking ball. If I don't know by watching him what his approach is, how do you think he would know what it is? It's really like with Merrifield. You know by watching him swing what his approach is. Yes. I'm choking He's... up trying to fight the barrel to velocity, and with two strikes, because I'm hitting 270 with two strikes, I'm going to battle. You know by watching him what his approach is, by what he's swinging at. You have A lot of the times you have no idea by the most of everybody else other than Bo when he's in there. Right. Bo's hunting the hater 95% of the time and then does that two-strike thing, which nobody else can ever do. But then there's everybody else, and I just wonder why everybody else, because of who they are, are what they've done, is just not on time all the time. Because you're really talented. Some serious things would happen in your lineup, and it's just confusing. By listening to Caleb talk and everybody else that we've ever had on this but show that's not talk gonna, about the Blue Jays lineup. But, Kevin, that's not going to change you would in start, season. Why wouldn't it? There are 42 games left. Why, why can't I be on time? Why can't that? It's an easy conversation. Hey, 
what we've been trying to do is obviously when those at-bats matter the most, whatever we're talking about is not being talked about the right way. It's okay to talk about it because they're trying to help you in certain situations because of all those things that everybody ever talks about, and there's a place for that. But when it's not working and it's time to adjust a little, I just think it's as simple as how do I be on time? And because I have bat speed, bat to ball skills, I'm balanced, I'm athletic, I have great rotation with my hips, the ball will most of the time end up where I want it to end up. It's just, it, I don't know. Did I, am I overthinking this? I, maybe I am. Maybe I'm. I, maybe I think way too highly of this lineup. No, I, listen. I and think I that, just wonder why it's just not as simple as, dude, you're not on time. Be on time. I mean, we've we've talked about this, and and um, you know, if you're looking, and and I and I think you're right. We. When it comes to Bo, we have to realize that Bo is a bit of a unicorn. Bo can do... Is Witt a unicorn? Because he's on time. Well, but what I'm saying is, it was the old story with Bo. You wouldn't always teach people to hit like Bo. Absolutely not. Too many moving parts. But the approach, look heater, and then once once you get to two strikes, stay alive. That would seem to work for everybody. I, and and this is and and I I really wonder with with Vladdy I've said this and I mean I don't know but I think Vladdy spent four years hearing oh Vladdy's dad he was the guy who was like watching a dude hit with a tennis racket he could hit a ball that bounced in the dirt twice and drive it over the wall which he could I, I, Vladdy could Vladdy Senior could do that mm-hmm. Vladdy Senior treated every pitch as if he could hit it. Because chances were pretty good he could hit it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I I wonder if this doesn't get back to to what we've seen from Vladdy, that kind of all-over-the-place approach. And I, I don't know how you rein it in. It's a game of inches. It's, it's changing point of contact is what it is. Uh, maybe he's not moved around the batter's box, and I just watch him way too much and, and think that he has. And, and I've never... I have to be honest, I've never seen him look like he has to bend over that much to reach the other part of the plate. When did you maybe, notice that? Maybe he has the last couple of days just because every, you know. Because he took the batting gloves off and everything. You're and just he, trying to, like, it just yeah. looks like he's so far away. Maybe he's not. Maybe it just looks that way because you're just trying to figure out ways, and I'm sure they are, and I'm sure he is, and trying to figure out ways to to change point of contact. He hits the ball when he hits the barrel harder than anybody in baseball. Well, we've already okay. I mean, we talked about that, the exit it's, velo. It's is just it. where he hits it because of the point of contact. So if you just adjust that part of it, then it should go where you want it to go in the air somewhere. He hits, look, when he makes contact on the barrel, it's sounds better than any ball coming off of any barrel in baseball. It's just consistently getting that part of it and in the air. And that, for me, is point of contact and where you stand in the batter's box. And do I think he needs to adjust with his hands? Absolutely. It's way too much of it. Like, it's it's moving part. It's what they say is wasted parts. Hmm. You don't need to do the hand thing. To be, and what if I just did my lower half and left my hands here with some movement and attacked the barrel to the baseball? Maybe that's quicker 
and I would make more contact to more quadrants of the strike zone. Uh, Has he always done that? Yeah, the hand, the hand it? movements. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that thing where it starts, where it starts, way back there, and then he does his fruition of his gather, and then he wants to raise it, and his hands start to gravity's taking over, and then what do you do when it's down? You have to raise it back up again. Yeah, we've got Jays tickets to give away to see the Jays and Phillies tomorrow. We've got Ruben Amaro Jr., MLB Network analyst former Phillies general manager next. We'll take you right up the first pitch at 7.07. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Sportsnet Radio Network, and Sportsnet. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we're about a half hour, 37 minutes away from first pitch at the Rogers Center. Jason, the Phillies opening a two-game series. Cannot wait. It's uh, I'm sure there's some hitters are not real excited about today. There's <laughs> a couple of good pitchers. Yeah. They're Zach back to Wheeler face. against uh, Yusei Kikuchi. Yeah. Huh. Remember, we used to always talk about lighting candles for Kikuchi well, and everything. We used to yeah, joke yeah, about did. Kikuchi yeah, yeah. and all that stuff and... I don't think I was joking a ton. Yeah, you know what I mean. Anyhow, uh, we've got Blue Jays tickets to give away. <laughs> Not anymore. Ding, 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 ding. Can't wait to see them start. Where did I put it? Look at all the paper I got here. Uh, you, asked that read. you asked for it. I've done that read. I've done that read. I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. It'll be at the bottom, of course. Uh, we've been giving you the chance to win Blue Jays tickets all season long here in Blair and Barker. Whether you listen on the radio or indeed on our podcast. And yep. if you listen to our podcast, mm-hmm. please leave a lovely five-star rating and review. Mm. All you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily baseball trivia question to 590-590. Our last trivia question and answer was which longtime Phillies pitcher threw a no-hitter in his final start with the organization before being dealt. The answer was Cole Hamels, Mm. July 25th, 2015, against the Cubs at Wrigley. Today's question is to win tickets to see the Jays and Phillies at the Rogers Center tomorrow. The question is, which two Blue Jays were named MVPs of the ALCS and World Series in 1993 when Toronto defeated Philadelphia for their second consecutive title? Again, which two Blue Jays were named MVPs of the ALCS and World Series in 1993 when Toronto defeated Philadelphia for their second consecutive title? I would have got one of these. Text the answer to 590-590 for your shot to win. See rules at sportsnet.ca. Slash 590. Ruben Amaro is a former general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. He's currently an MLB network analyst, also an analyst with NBC Sports Network in Philadelphia. He joins us on Blair and Barker. Ruben, thanks so much for doing this today. Jeff and Kevin, uh, good to be with you guys. How you doing? Good. We are we are doing well, thanks. Um, so I, I, I want you to put your GM's hat on here for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh You've got a team that went to the World Series last year. Uh, what what do you look for in the follow-up season? And, and what I mean by that is obviously you want to go back to the World Series and hopefully win the World Series. But are there signs you look for as a GM that uh, just to make sure that, you know, that, 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 that the team hasn't 
isn't I don't want to say that they've been worn down from the World Series, but that there is there isn't any sort of of World Series hangover. Well, I think it is difficult to win first and foremost. And uh, you know, I took over a club uh, that won the 2008 World Series, and then Pat Gillick then retired, and so I ended up taking over that uh, that team in 2009 with the hopes of getting back to the World Series. Fortunately for us. We did get back, but um, I think it's uh, it's about the attitude of the players and understanding that uh, you know and understanding what their makeup is and and also trying to improve. I mean that uh, you, you just can't go into the season from season to season, regardless of whether you're a winning team or not, and without having some tweaks and some changes to your to your ball club. I think that uh, the Phillies got out of the gate sort of slowly this year, and and I think in part uh, because they. You know, their starting pitchers really did not perform all that well in the early part of the season, 2023. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a combination of how many innings they threw, guys like Wheeler and Nola, et cetera, et cetera, and the fact that they pitched so deeply into the season. Um, but I, I think that there was also um, a question as to how much work they wanted to give them in the early part of the season and in spring training. They did not get a ton of work there. They, uh, I think they were very careful about their workloads, and you know that's a uh, that's sort of a buzzword in this day and age. I don't necessarily agree with it, but hey, um, I think that they were planning on trying to get these guys ready for the season with the thought process that hey, they may have to go you know, deep into the season again, and we want to make sure that um, that they were prepared to do that. Um, and so we had, you know, the Phillies did have quite a slow start as far as their starting pitching is concerned, and put a lot of heat on their their bullpen and uh, early in the, in the uh, campaign in April, um, they kind of struggled. Now the bullpen did come on and, and pitch very, very well to kind of buoy them for a while. And then the starting pitching came on and has been very good lately. And that's the reason why they're back in the hunt. But, um, but there's always, you know, question about whether the guys are going to be healthy. Number one, hungry. Uh, I think this is a team that's always going to be hungry. It's a very gritty baseball team and i think that uh, they showed that uh, through the last couple of months of the season uh ruben if they had to play bryce harper at first base the rest of the season that includes the playoffs you think they could win a world series with him there i think they can i think he's got a lot to learn i think he's uh, made an amazing adjustment I, I i actually had a conversation with him in the clubhouse uh probably a couple of weeks ago and I'm really astonished. Uh, I mean, people don't understand that. Uh, sometimes some people don't understand that that first baseman, even though people think it's not as important defensive position, they touch the ball just as much as anybody, if not more, in in the entire field, other than the catcher. And so there is an importance, uh, and there's some nuances about the game that I think he's still learning. Uh, he's still sort of getting his sea legs, his first base legs underneath him. Um, and that's why you don't see him playing there every day. But I think that it does give the Phillies a lot more versatility. It can make this ball club a much better defensive team when he's playing first base, believe it or not, because that outfield gets to be much better. They can put a, a variety of different guys on the corner outfield and, and allows them to put Kyle Schwarber uh, in that DH spot. So it, it gives them some versatility that uh, Rob Thompson, I think, would uh, the manager, I think, uh, I think he's pretty happy about because there's so many balls, as you guys know, there's so many more balls in the air these days in this day and age in baseball. If you don't have a, a solid outfield 
defense, then uh, you know, it could be very troublesome for your pitching. Yeah, you would know this because you talked to him. I, I wonder about the bigger bases and, and teams trying to run more. You know, you got to be a little bit more involved. You got to be in tune with your pitcher, how many times you can throw over. You know, a lot of that's relationship between a, a first baseman and a pitcher. Any issues there? I know he's a smart dude. I, you know, I've been around him enough to, to know and had conversations with him. He's a very smart guy, but that's a lot to ask, right? Footwork and just being involved all the time, trying to control things over there. Not the easiest thing to do. Any issues with that? Well, I don't think he's had any issues, but again, he's going to be tested. Um, and when he starts playing on a more regular basis, you know, Bobby Dickerson, I think is one of the best infield coaches in baseball. Yeah. I think he breaks things down extremely well. He makes things very simple. He believes in securing the baseball. He, be, he, be, he believes in, um, you know, being just being fundamentally sound. And that's the most important part. You just secure the baseball, um, and then everything should be fine after that. And I think you've seen a lot of improvements. I have seen a lot of improvements on Alec Bohm's part. The fact that, uh, you know, you have a guy who basically has never played first base in his career ever uh, playing first base for a team that is a contending ball club now and actually handling it fairly well. Um, I think those are all pluses. And, and Bobby will continue to, to, to teach. That's what he does. He um, he knows that there's a teaching moment all the time. I think that he'll continue to communicate with Bryce and continue to have him, and, you know, have him work on things. But you can only really work on things in the game, and uh, and you can only experience game speed during the course of a game if you have not done it in the minor leagues, which of course he had not done. So um, I think that's good. There's going to be some challenges, some things that he's going to have to deal with, and some things he's going to have to continue to learn. That said, I know that Bobby Dickerson is uh, is poised and ready and willing and will continue to make the effort to try to get prices, you know, as, as polished as he possibly can. Ruben, since Kyle Schwarber was put back into the leadoff spot, this team has taken off. They what he's got a seven ninety-three OPS. They're forty and twenty-three in those games. He's got forty-eight walks in sixty-two games, and that the last MLB leadoff hitter with forty-eight walks in a sixty-two game. Uh, was Ricky Henderson uh, in in 2001? He's already set a career high in walks. I mean, all you you know this. You you see him on a daily basis. Do the rest of us not realize just what a good and what a smart player Kyle Schwarber is? Well, he's a very bright player. There's no question about it. Um, uh, I, I am I am, however, astonished that he does swing and miss so much because he's got such a, a short swing now. He is um, he's sort of ideal in this situation for this team just because he has the ability to see a lot of pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he does not swing necessarily out of the zone all that often until he gets to two strikes when he does expand some and does that's where you get your swings and misses from him. But, um, but I think he just feels real comfortable in that spot. Obviously, Rob Thompson feels comfortable that he's in that uh you know in that leadoff spot he does not run all that well um but he does see pitches he does get on base he does create um pressure for the uh, opposing pitcher and he's a very intelligent player he's, a, he's one of the better teammates i've ever seen be around the players because he knows that his goal is to try to set up pitchers so that they he can give them his teammates information about that pitcher um, and that's sort of old school thinking, and I think it works very well for the Phillies. Uh, we have well, Whit Merrifield here, and without Whit, Whit Merrifield in the lineup for the Blue Jays, they they probably wouldn't be where they're at. He's moved around. He's leading off now. He does 
you know, a lot of things that gets on base. Who is the Phillies with Merrifield? You know, the guy that I really like uh, and I've really gravitated towards is Bryson Stott. He has uh, grown in leaps and bounds. Uh, he is a extraordinarily intelligent, high IQ baseball player. He puts the ball in play. He's an intelligent base runner. He'll steal bases when he has to. He doesn't been thrown out very much. Um, he, he, he studies the game. He's a baseball rat. Um, I've seen uh, Merrifield for a long time, and, and I've really admired his game. Um, but you know, these are guys that beat you in a, in a variety of ways, whether it be whether it's a defensive play. Now I know Witt's played all over the diamond, and Bryson Stott has basically stayed in the middle of the diamond. But um, but I just love the way um, Bryson Stott goes about his business. He knows, the, understands uh, where to play, how to play, when when to take a shot at trying to drive the ball, when to to put the ball in play, and uh, and I really just love the way these two guys play baseball. They're baseball winners. You know, Ruben, I know that you guys were talking to the MLB Network uh, a, a little bit ago about Shohei Otani at the trade deadline. And of course, we know that the the mm-hmm. Angels retained Shohei Otani. They they didn't move him. Um, you know, and, and I mean, what that has kind of done right now is, and I, I know Bradford Doolittle at ESPN wrote a piece in this. People are now sort of, now that he's with the Angels, they're trying to establish a value. Mm. How, how do you establish a financial value for Shohei Otani? As a former GM who has had to, a, to do that, you've had to put a financial value on players. How would you approach this? Yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, uh, Perry Manassian is in, in a very tough spot, um, and he was in a very tough spot. I, and I was an advocate of trying to move him just because I didn't think the Angels, um, and this is not 2020 hindsight, this is something that I felt, you know, I've been in those situations where maybe I held on to some players a little too long or didn't go into a transition when I needed to or make the move when, uh, make the difficult move when it had to be done. So I've lived through that, and I know how difficult that was. I understand. And I respect the fact that they tried to build more value with the team and to try to put themselves in a position to win this year so that, you know, they could, they could show Shohei, hey, we're trying to do what we can to put a winning ball club on this field, and we're trying to do this because we want to keep you around for, for the next 10 or 12 years or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's very difficult to put a value on him because he's, he's basically a unicorn. No one's really ever done anything like this. I've thrown the the, cord, the half billion dollar number around just because I see that as a possibility. Because there's nobody who's done anything that he's anything close to what this player has done, uh, unless you're Babe Ruth. Now, to me, um, I believe that his value continues to be strong regardless of whether or not he breaks down physically on the mound. And so I see him as a everyday, even if he doesn't get hurt. Um, which is probably the biggest risk that a that a uh, that a player has at the major league level is his arm, elbow, shoulder, whatever the case may be. I view him as a very, very productive, everyday offensive player and defensive player. If in fact he ends up going to the outfield at some point rather than just DHing, um, so I, to me, um, it's sort of the sky is the limit. It's very difficult to. Um, to really put a price tag on it. But that said, it is so ultimately important to have the support pieces because this, you know, this is a game, as you guys well know, 
this isn't a game that's not won by one player. We've seen that with the Mike Trouts of the world. We've seen that with the Shohei Otanis of the world, that it really has to be supported. That player has to be supported. And the team that gets this guy, you're not going to automatically win with him. You're going to have to have the support pieces and be able to have the wherewithal and, um, you know, the base to be able to uh, to support around him to have success. Now, that's really well said. We yep. had we had Joe Madden on uh, earlier, and he was talking about, uh, not today, but uh, earlier this year, he was talking about Otani. And one of his points was, you know, you go out and acquire Shohei Otani, you that's an organizational decision because a lot comes with that in terms of how you handle him medically, right? How you handle him physically, how your other pitchers adapt to him. It's not it. And and his point was, it's kind of difficult to bring that guy in, in the middle of as good as he is, bring him in, in the middle of the season and now make everybody else kind of fit around him. And I, and I I think maybe that's one thing we don't talk about enough is you got to do, he's a good dude and everything. I'm not saying he's a bad dude, but it's not business as usual for everybody else in your team when you bring Shohei Otani in. You're absolutely correct. And I have, I've known Joe for a long time. Joe was my, uh, my field coordinator when I first uh, broke into professional baseball with the, uh, with the California Angels at the time. And, uh, and I, I you know, feel like Joe is one of the best hitting coaches other than he and Charlie Manuel, the two best hitting coaches I've ever been around. Great baseball people. And it's very tough. I mean, he's absolutely right. He's in an organizational decision. There are a lot of I's that need to be, uh, you know, dotted and T's need to be crossed when you're uh, acquiring a player like this. And you have to be completely prepared um, and completely in lockstep, the front office, the ownership group, the manager on the field, the pitching coach, et cetera, et cetera, um, with this type of talent because – you know, you just have to be able to manage through what he is able to do um, in a very careful way. Good stuff, Ruben. Yeah. Appreciate you doing this, man. Terrific insight. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah, enjoyed it. Anytime, guys. You be well. Yeah, you Take too. Care. Thank Ruben you. Amaro Jr., MLB Network analyst, NBC Sports, Philadelphia uh, analyst, former Phillies general manager. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, you know, again, that that's... That's going to be just such an intriguing story at the end of the year. Yeah, I think it's where you start. Like, what, what, what's the number? What's the starting number? It's not where he's going to end up. It's where you start. Like, what, what, what do you, where do you start to not, not get an eye roll? Uh, that, that's what it is, right? I, and I don't know. Do they know what that number is? Whoever's trying to get him, whether it's the Angels, the Dodgers, the Giants, two of the New York teams, like, who? I, I don't even know where you'd start. Like, is it? I'll give you 36 or 7 as a hitter. I'll give you 36 or 7 as a pitcher. We'll combine the two. How many years do you want? Like, you let him decide. Like, I don't know. How do you start it? What's the number? That's the question. It's not where you end up. 65 million. May not be enough. Over 10 years. 10 years, a lot. It's a lot. It's a great question. It is. Oh, would you be willing to go that that high? That's the question. Because you know you're not getting both for that long. You may not get both for like two or three more years. Yeah. I'm intrigued. So- 416-413-3959 is the back leg line. Your money. chance. Ah? It's not my money. I'd like to be able to spend it, though. It's your chance to leave questions or comments for Kevin Barker. Uh, and uh, we're going to Ron on. Uh, sorry, Mark. I scribbled over where he's from. Fraser Highway. Does that sound right? 
Fraser Valley, close. Ron, go ahead, please. I've been wanting to call you now since August 8th when the Jays lost one nothing to the Guardians. Mm-hmm. At the end of the game, as the Jays were walking off the field and the Guardian players were giving each other high fives and congratulating each other, I noticed the Jays, as they were walking off the field, had long faces and were not very happy with the outcome, except, and I repeat, Kevin, except Vladdy. He was smiling and joking and laughing like he really didn't care about the outcome. I thought to myself, wow, what an attitude. I know he acts like a big kid and he likes to have lots of fun, but this was unacceptable to me. He should have been just as bummed as the rest of his teammates for losing. In my opinion, Kevin, there is a time to have fun and kibitz around, but showing an attitude like he showed, in my opinion, is not acceptable. I know he is certainly a great, talented player, but he needs to grow up and set the tone for the team. If he's ever going to be a leader, Kevin, you know that for certain. Thanks for allowing me to voice my opinion. And by the way, you and Blair have a great show. Thanks. Thanks, Ron. Yeah, it's fair. Like, that's, that's... Really? Maybe. Like, I, I, th- I think it's fair whenever you're the player that we all thought had the expectations going into the season that Vladdy has, has just not lived up to it. Like, he's had the year that – and I think there's a time and a place for the optics of the way – I don't want to say it's supposed to look. The way you carry yourself. Absolutely. Like, it's – I'm with I, – I think it's I mean, sort of – Sometimes there's a place for being happy, and I didn't really, I didn't see that, so I'm not sure I can, I can talk about that part of it. But I, I think there's a time and a place for it, and I think this I is guess. the part of the season where everybody should be pulling in the same direction. Now, the leadership part of it, I think that's between the lines more than it is. That's overrated for me. I've been in so many clubhouses that let that's, me ask it's you this: like 15 different groups of people, so. I don't remember that particular game. I don't either. Would that surprise you? That he's laughing? Yeah. No. So he's Vladdy. He's being consistent. We want consistency out of our athletes. See, that's why I don't get bent out. It's it's like people handle grief differently. They just do. Mm. Some people put up a front. Some people break down. That's just the way it is. Some people having lo- handle losing differently. Some people throw stuff around. Some people kind of laugh it off. It's almost like a defense mechanism. I just think there's a real – and, boy, listen, I, my career as a sports writer, I was as guilty of this as anybody. I just think you have to be really careful with the whole body language thing. I really do. It's – I want to know I'm getting – I want to know I'm getting – I want to know I'm getting maximum effort from a guy. I don't want him to show up the fans or his teammates – or the other team, in that order. I don't actually care if a guy shows up the other team. But my whole point is, I don't look at how a guy is after a loss and say, my God, that guy doesn't, J- doesn't J- care. J- Kevin Gossman comes out of a game. Is he any different? If you, if you see Kevin Gossman in a dugout when he's come out of a game, and you don't know what's happened in that game. You have no idea. You've turned in You've turned in, in the seventh inning. There's Kevin Gossman. You don't know the score. I guarantee you, you won't be able to tell whether he's winning or whether yeah, his team play. was winning I, or was losing when he came out of the game. That guy plays once a week. They're different. Like, that's a different I, I, Have they lived up to expectations? No. Has Vladdy lived up to expectations? No. Then I think there's a time so and a sad. place for No, that's not what I'm saying. He can be himself. Be himself in the clubhouse. Like, I think there's a time and a place. I'm not always in that camp where, you know, you got to be a a pouty face and, you know, the 
But there's a... I can understand why a fan that is invested in the Blue Jays, and we have a bunch of them that listen to this show, that would get a little tired of when the team is losing... It's, Dudes are happy about that. Like, I can understand I, that. Do, do you think, I can understand that. Okay, that's not fair. Little. Do you think Vladdy's happy that they lost I that have game? No idea. I, would th- I would certainly hope not. Okay. But, if, but if, was it Ron? Was it Ron? Yes, Ron. Yeah. I, I apologize if I got the name wrong. If he saw him doing that, then it, you could see optics-wise that that's the way it would it would come across. You can't blame the fan for thinking that. Oh, no. Well, that's all. I, I, I do I mean, think. You get Ron's point a little. I, I do, but I just don't. These dudes play every day. I, You know, it's like the whole home run jacket thing and everything. It's just. Yeah, the home run jacket guys, is totally different. Guys, you know, whatever. Here's the thing. Whatever floats your boat. Just give me an honest effort. And I think for the most part, Vladdy, I think Vladdy's just having a lousy year. I think he's just not having a, a, a Vladdy-type year. But, I mean, I think I'm getting kind of the same effort I got last year. I, I don't know. I just think sometimes that we need to, when it comes to professional athletes, we need to kind of forget what we think we see. And maybe Ron saw what he saw. Well, and he didn't it, like it. It, it is, and, and you know what? Hey, and it's Jays. an impression, and absolutely. I, and he sees a dude having fun, yeah, in his mind, and the other team's not. The whole yeah. team. That's I, you can understand it. Yeah, no, I, 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 I can't yeah. argue with that. Uh, that's it for us. We'll be doing Blue Jays talk tonight. We'll be back from five to seven tomorrow. Stick around in just a few minutes. Seven oh seven, the first pitch. Phillies and Jays, first of two from the Rogers Center. Have yourself a great night. <laughs>